Good morning, church. Good, good, good. Um, I just want to start off by saying that uh, anything you're going through, you absolutely deserve it. You put yourself there. You must have done something that God told you not to do. And you have no one to blame but yourself. This is what Job received in the trial. These are the words that Job heard from those he cared about and those who were close to him. So as I was saying those things to you right now, I want you to remember the feelings and, and the, the thoughts you had rushing through your head when you were receiving condemnation instead of having someone care. Because that's what Job had to go through. So if you don't know the story of Job, just a, a very brief overview. He was a man who uh, lived in the land of Uz. He was a blameless man, blameless, complete integrity. So that means he did what was right. He was a good man. He was an upright man, a very righteous man. And uh, he feared God and he stayed away from evil. You know, it, it goes on to list all the wonderful things that Job was and who he was. And back then, a man's blessings were measured by his materialistic belongings. So Job was a very rich man. He had seven sons and three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, plus many servants. He was the richest man in the area, in that land of Uz. Back to what I said in the beginning, I want you to think to yourselves, how many times did you want someone just to care in the middle of your trial? Someone to just hear you out and just to be there for you without having any negative feedback to be like, well, dude, like, what did you do? You must have done something because that's all they told Job. They were like, Job, you must have cursed God. You had to do something. Like, the Lord doesn't just do this. So that was, that's what brings me, of course, to the title of the sermon, Be Caring, Not Condemning. Oftentimes, when we see a brother or sister in Christ hurting, we think that the best way to help them is to talk and give advice. You know, like, hey, brother, I, I saw you're going through that, man. Like, let me give you some advice. I just want to tell you, you know, some words of affirmation. I just want to help you out here. And, you know, we want them to know that it's not God's fault. Like, hey, but remember, it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. We know it's not God's fault. But they're not in a, in a time or place where that's the words they need to hear. They need to be in a place where they can just see the love of God through the way you're acting, the way you're there for them. Christians face, a, face testing for a purpose. And it's usually one that exceeds like human understanding. Because it could go on and on and on about how yeah, we suffer for this life. We suffer and it's just part of you know, being a Christian. But... It's just, it exceeds what the mind can comprehend. And when you get to heaven, feel free to ask away with the questions of, Lord, well, why'd you do that? Why'd you do this? Because he's going to be the one who can answer those big questions. So first off, I just want us to think about what is it that we do when we see someone hurting immediately, right? We go to like, hey, snap out of that. No more. Don't be doing that. Hey, man, stop crying. Hey, dude, you're fine. You're fine. It happened. Move on. Don't do it again. Just don't do it again. Sorry, I'm being too loud. Can we turn the mic down a little bit? Too many times we think the best way to help is to give advice, when instead they just need comfort. The first scripture that backs us up, and this is what Job 
was saying to the three people that were talking to him, right? So you had uh, Eliphaz, who was the first one who decided to talk to Job. And he says in Job 6, verse 26. We'll get it on screen here. I'll read it out loud and then we'll, we'll read it again on screen. But it says, do you think your words are convincing when you disregard my cry of desperation? There it is. Perfect. Do you think that your words are convincing when you disregard my cry of desperation? So let's break that down into more, uh, more chewable terms. Do you think I'm going to listen to you when you're not listening to why I'm hurting? Right? This applies to many relationships, especially parents with children or a spouse with a, another, another spouse or husband with a wife. They're not going to listen to you when you're not understanding why they're hurting. Right? You have to be intentional. You've got to be understanding. You've got to be like, hey, uh, son, daughter, wife, husband, like, what's wrong? Why are you hurting? Talk to me. Let, let me hear you out. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not here to tell you what you did wrong. I just want to hear you out. His buddy Eliphaz was super sincere in the beginning of this conversation, right? He was like, Job, dude, you're so strong. You've always encouraged people. You've always strengthened people. And then just like, Bam! Turn into a whole other person, right? Sorry, I had to get your attention back. How to you back in there? So then Eliphaz starts condemning Job, right? So then we move on to Job 4, verses 3 through 8. It's a long one, but here we go. We're going to read it out. In the past, you have encouraged many people. You have strengthened those who are weak. Your words have supported those who were falling. You encourage those with shaky knees, but now when trouble strikes you. Okay, so that there, at that first sentence, but now. So that old Eliphaz, he's out the door. This is that new Eliphaz. This is that condemning Eliphaz. But now when trouble strikes you, you lose heart. You are terrified when it touches you. Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? Stop and think. And this is where they start getting into it, where they start saying, Job, like, you must have done something wrong because they say, do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. So then you got Job like, yo, Eliphaz, what, what you trying to say to me, man? And Eliphaz is like, Job, I think you know what I'm trying to say. You know, he's calling Job out. He's trying to say that Job had done something wrong to deserve the punishment that he was uh, receiving. Which brings me to my next point. Be careful what you say to someone in grief. Because so easily words of comfort can be taken as words of conflict. So your words can be as gentle as a feather, right? Super soft, super sensitive, heart penetrating. Or they can be as piercing as a double-edged sword. You choose. You've got to be sincere with the words you choose. So as Job's going through these trials, he loses all of his children. Uh, they used to gather in the, the older brother's house, and they used to have a feast that would last days. And they would, you know, throw a big old party. And Job loved his children. Job loved them so much that he would offer burnt sacrifices on a regular basis. A burnt sacrifice was uh, something that they did back then to uh, basically pay the price for a sin, right? So he would offer burnt sacrifices for his kids just in case they might have cursed God. Just in case, because he loved them so much, he wanted to make sure their standing was, was, with God was always great. 
So now in, in grief and pain, Bildad, the other friend, says this to Job in Job 8, verses 2 through 4. How long will you go on like this? You sound like a blistering wind. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well-deserved. I don't know about you, but if I had just lost my child, I would probably be ready to fight Bildad for saying something like this. But because of the complete integrity and the man that Job was, he didn't respond how we would have. Job was just reminiscing and thinking like, why, Lord, why? Why would you allow this to happen to me? What did I do? But I wanted to use this exact scripture because this is a perfect time of deciding when is the right time to say something and when not to. So a while back, I had uh, quit my job to pursue a different career. I really wanted to go into something that I was going to enjoy. I was going for nursing. It wasn't my calling. I didn't feel like. And so I, I switched off. I wanted to do something like video production and whatnot. So I quit my job. I kind of did it in the wrong way. I, now I look back, I should have done it in a more uh, easier transitioning way, but I didn't. So finances were obviously hard. Uh, because I wasn't working, and we were just living off what I had saved. And so me and my wife got into an argument, and, and I do these things around the house where I kind of pace, right? I say something, I kind of walk away, and she's like, well, if you wouldn't have quit your job, you wouldn't be here. And I was like, what did you just say to me? I was like, are you kidding me? You really just said that? And she didn't mean that in, a, in an ugly way. We were both at a point where we wanted to be understood. We wanted someone to understand what we were going through. My wife was just trying to explain her worriness for how are we going to pay bills, how are we going to do this, and I took that as, you trying to say I'm a terrible husband? What, you don't think I'm a good father? Which is not what she was saying at all. But that's how easily words can be twisted and taken as conflict. So I shut her down, but when you do this, everybody suffers. Everybody. So my daughter would be like, Dad, Dad, look at her, Daddy, Daddy. And I'd be like, not right now, Olivia, please. Like, just go over there. I just need some time real quick, just a little bit. And so that was, I realized, like, this is not how we should handle this. I shouldn't be pushing away my daughter. I shouldn't have to be pushing away people in my home. So we took a step back. We both let our heads and, and emotions settle down. Because you got to speak to your spouse, not through emotions, but through logical explanations, having good conversations with each other. And we both were just explaining, like, well, I just, I just need you right now. I just need you to be here. I need you to come for me because I shouldn't have quit my job. I should have, I should have eased out. I should have done it other ways. So I was telling her that I needed love and, and affirmation and comfort. And she explained to me what she needed. But it was just the wrong time. Now, don't ever not share your feelings. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying pick the right time. Right? Because if your husband or wife comes home from work, super long day, maybe they've had a rough day, maybe they've been fighting spiritual battles at work, struggling with their own struggles, and you come home and you're like, you know, babe, I've been meaning to tell you, I really need you to start doing this or doing that and doing this. Boom, walls are going to go up and it's not going to be good. They were already fighting battles out in the world and they got to come home and now they got to pick up this right here. Give them a chance to take a break, get home, be that, be that father spiritual mode the husband mode, and then you'd be like, hey, babe, uh, if it's a good time, I just really wanted to talk to you, you know, about some of the things I'm, I'm really needing right now and how I'm feeling, you know, ease into that conversation, be gentle, be open-hearted, right?
understand that it's important to be there for those you care about. It's super important, right? Don't be there for somebody because it's the right thing to do. Be there for somebody because it's the God thing to do. When you're there for somebody because you want God to intervene that way, it's going to work out in your favor. You see, because you're not going to go to someone and be like, hey, you need to do this. Stop doing that. This is how you're going to fix this. Be there and show the love of God through how you're acting and showing yourself and handling these actions. Show them the love of God with your actions and your heart. But while being there, be careful with your words. Be careful. Because how you say them and when you say them will make all the difference. Moving on to my main point here also is having trials in this life has a purpose. Now, if you come up to me and ask, well, for what? Why? Why? I don't know. Why? I can't tell you exactly why. Because, as I said, it exceeds our human understanding. It's so much more than just it's good for you. It's good for you. There's so much more on a spiritual level that we just, our minds cannot comprehend. This is what non-believers love to argue with. Love it. Every single time. I've done uh, online ministry before, and I've always spoke to people who didn't believe in God. And the first thing they jumped to is, well, why does God allow suffering? If he's such a good God, and he's an amazing God, why does he allow suffering? Instead of me just trying to tell you with my own understanding, let's look at scripture. James 1, verse 3. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. One more time. One more time. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let's break this down a little bit. What is faith? Right? Let's, let's break down what is faith. If we go to Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. So faith, what is it? It shows the reality of what we hope for. So having faith is what you hope for. So if you have faith that you're going to be financially stable, be ready for the financial struggle. If you're praying for a sound marriage, be ready for a marriage that has problems and trials and hard times. If you're praying for your children to be saved, you're going to have to go through the struggle where they're trying to find their faith. That which you hope for is tested. Then we move on. Your endurance has a chance to grow. Well, what's endurance? I don't think I put this in there. Maybe I did. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't put that one in. I'm sorry. Essentially, this is not biblically based. This is the actual definition of when you look up the word endurance. Endurance, the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving away. Essentially, it's being able to withstand something and not giving up. It's being able to withstand something and know like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get over it. What this means is when you're going through that hard time, it's not being like, God, I don't know. I guess you're not working in my favor. I've been struggling with this for X amount of days, weeks, days, months, whatever, years. You're obviously not here. You're not here. That's, that's putting your faith on the back burner. And she'd be like, no, like, he's obviously not working. Have endurance. 
be able to withstand these temporary trials. Job suffered greatly. And as I was reading the story of Job, I can't even complain about the trials I have. Like, oh, I couldn't get my PS5. Or I couldn't get uh, that new camera I wanted. I couldn't get this, you know, this and this and this. Job lost so much more than I could ever imagine. He lost his family to begin with, all 10 children, 10 children, 10 babies that he raised from infants to young adults dead. That's hard. That, I could not imagine even having to go through the, such, like, such pain of losing a child. His health, Job lost his health. The devil had told, uh, or Satan had told the Lord, um, he said, skin for skin, take away a man's, uh, a man's health and he'll surely curse you. And Job didn't. Job lost his health, but he remained faithful. Job lost his wife. His wife, when he, you know, was covered in boils and was sick, she said, just curse God and die. To, my, to the wives that are in, uh, in, in the session today, I want you to understand that you have to be your husband's biggest supporter when no one else is, Right? When he comes home at the end of the day, you need to be his, his firm foundation next to God. Because everyone's going to talk bad about him. He's going to have to face all these troubles. But when he comes home, oh, he knows that you love him. Gosh, you're his number one fan. You're his cheerleader, right? Same thing for you, husbands. You have to be your wife's number one fan. You've got to give her that affirmation. You've got to show her that she's worth something to you. It's a two-way street on that side. So then we further on, and Job has suffered greatly in here, and his, his three friends continue to just condemn him, like, Job, you're wrong, dude. Like, I don't want you to tell you. You're obviously not doing something right. That's on you. So, the, you know, Job is like, Lord, what have I done? Tell me, please, what did I do to deserve this? I've always helped the needy. I've done this for you. I've done this for you. I've done this for you. Why? Why would you allow this to happen to me? Why? Job got the answer, but not the one he was looking for. The Lord answers Job, and he says something like this. He says, brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you that I want to answer. And so when, when the Lord says this, he's trying to show Job that Job is just down here. Not to be ugly to Job, but to let, just remind Job, like, I'm, you're down here, I'm up here. You have no idea what's happening up here. You can't even question the things I'm doing, because you have no knowledge in this area. So he's like, he's like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And the Lord's like, all right, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I need you to answer them. Where were you in the beginning? Did you create the seas? Did you tell them where the boundary was? Did you make the stars that light up the night? Did you make the sun that lights the day? Where were you, Job? Did you tame Leviathan? Leviathan was a wicked sea creature, right? Super wicked, a very, a very strong, evil creature of the seas. And the Lord tells him, did you tame Leviathan? Did you make it your slave? Essentially just explain to Job his power and his righteousness to do these things. He just wants Job to understand that he's bigger than his problems. He's bigger than he can comprehend. There is nothing that God can do wrong. There is no sin in him, so he cannot sin. Now, what does this mean? It means that whatever he allows you to go through is not bad. 
it's a good thing because he allowed it, even if it's bad for you, right? And that's something that we have to just understand as Christians. When you say, I, I take up the cross and I, you know, call Jesus my Lord and Savior, that doesn't mean that you're living a, a, a free life. Nothing's ever going to happen to you ever again. You're going to live a prosperous life. No, like this is just saying that your suffering has a purpose. If you don't believe that God can do wrong, then you truly don't understand who God is. Everything he does is perfect. Having trials in this life allows us to take part in what our Lord and Savior had to go through. Do you, don't you know that Jesus suffered? He suffered. He died on the cross. And the, the way they explain the way he was treated, it's, it's unfathomably crazy. Like, I can tell you he was whipped and, and he was beat, but you would have to see it to believe it, really. Words can't explain how poorly he was treated in this life. The Lord had to suffer. 1 Peter 4.13. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. What does this mean? When you suffer, you're being just like Jesus. The Bible says to be more like our Lord and Savior and less like ourselves. So when we suffer, we're taking part of what he had to go through to get his glory. And this life has trials and suffering, but oh my gosh, you have no idea the blessing that is being prepared for you in heaven right now. It's going to be a place where there's no more, there's no more aching, there's no more pain, there's no more anxiety, there's no more depression. It's peace, love, and joy. You get to sing praises to the Almighty day in and day out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Be very glad, church. Your trial is temporary. If that brings you any comfort, it's temporary. It's not eternal. And you might be in a season of your life where you're not going through a trial. God bless you. But make sure you store up these truths right now because a storm will come. And I'm not saying that to scare you, to be ugly, but I want you to prepare yourself because there is going to be a storm that comes. And if you have nothing to stand on, you will be swept away. To bring this sermon to an end, I want us to understand that sometimes the best thing is to do nothing. Just be there for one another. When, you're, when your kids are struggling, when your wife is struggling, husband, cousin, friend, uncle, whoever, brother, sister, just be there. You don't have to always share your advice and tell them who God is and why God does this. Because you might inaccurately explain who God is. And that's what happened with Job's three friends. They did not accurately depict what, who God was. So they were speaking on his behalf but didn't know what they were speaking. They were not speaking the whole truth. So be careful when speaking to others about sharing who the, who the Lord is. Just be there. Understand what they're facing. Be caring, not condemning. So instead, you could be something like this. So instead of saying, you deserve this, you this, you that, something like this might be more effective. Hey, I, man, I know you're struggling. I'm here for you. Whatever you need, brother, I'm here. Sister, whatever you need, I'm here. We're here. You've got church members who are sitting next to you. You could always run to and ask just to be with you, to share your anguish, to share your pain. You've got a whole church that loves and cares about you. And this right here is something holy, right? The people that you're looking next to, these are people who you're walking with life through. These are people you can lean on and trust. 
we're ready to walk with you through the storm. The storm will pass. Don't worry. Be glad. This is going to make you stronger. I don't know how, but it will make you stronger, whether you believe it or not. Let this be your tone and action when you speak to a brother or sister who's suffering. Let it be soft. Let it be intentional. Let it be caring. All right? Let's go into some worship. <laughs>